Hello and welcome back to EG's Office Politics. I'm Piers Weiner. Since we last met, the King has been crowned. We've all got used to not working on a Monday. Labour has become the largest party in local government for the first time since 2002. And the government itself appears to be running out of time to level up. And with me to discuss at least those last two is my coalition partner, former housing minister, Mark Prisk. Hi, Piers. How are you? I'm very well. You can, you can hear I'm in a public toilet. <laughs> I, I think that's a reference to the acoustic quality as opposed yes, to any, any right, smells yes, or anything. Yes, that's 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 good. Good. Former Tory MP in, in, talking to strange men in public toilets is not a good place to go. <laughs> just, just generally reverse from there. I, it's been so done. It's been so done, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, so uh, let's, let's start with the local elections, mm. shall we? Um, let, let's get out of the toilets and into the local elections. Um, I mean, you could call it a drubbing. You could call it um, simply a result in line with expectations, although <laughs> those were meant to be the sort of the expectations that the party was meant to leap over, weren't they, as opposed yes. to get it dead well, on the nail. It's it's always difficult in these situations because, uh, you know, different people make different speculations. So you try and create something that gives you something to talk about that sounds vaguely intelligent uh, somewhere around about 10 past 10 on polling <laughs> night when they're already predicting that little Ducksworth is, you know, has elected Mrs. Miggins uh, by one <laughs> vote or something. Um, I think the thing with local elections is, first of all, it's always important to remember that two thirds of the electorate didn't bother to vote at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so you just just put that in the back of your head doesn't mean that they don't matter, but it just means you just be, you know, beware of of, of uh, wild predictions. But obviously, if you're in the media, then then or certain parts of the media, then that would put you out of a job. But I, I think it was interesting. I mean, it was terrible for the Conservatives. Let's not beat about the bush. It really was. Well, let's, let's let's put a number on that though, because it was okay. what is it? The final tally was one thousand and sixty-one council seats lost, yeah, which was sixty-one ahead of the the worst predictions coming out That's of right. the party yeah. itself. Um, and was it forty-eight councils? I think that they lost control of something like that. Yes, yeah. Which and I mean, I, and that's the huge bit, isn't it? Because there was lots of talk about the number of councillors, but the loss of control of councils themselves is. But that's that's probably the bit that's more important for our our listeners. I suppose so. Well, I, I think what I take away from it, I try to look at the gen of the share of the vote because you know the numbers vary depending on how many people turn out. Blah blah blah. So you, it starts getting and you get into that thing where everybody can claim victory by picking to, to council example A or, you know, the Tories did quite well in Dudley, you know, so that inevitably yeah. poor old Greg Hands will probably have to spend the evening talking about Dudley. Labour got 35% of the vote and the Tories got 26 and Lib Dems 20. So um, a nine percentage lead. The big question that Professor John Curtis and others who analyse these things in great detail feel is, is it enough to get them in? I think that's, I think that's, that's still a question. I also th I, th I thought it was funny because in the past, what's happened is the splintering on the left of the centre of politics between Lib Dems, Labour and Greens has actually been bad for Labour. And in some areas it was. So in East Hearts, for example, the Green Party did tremendously well um, and Labour came fourth out of the main parties, which, given that they are aiming to win the seat at a parliamentary level, is a bit of a problem. I think it's also interesting to see that the most important gathering, as it were, is the NOC party. No overall control. They run 92 councils now. Labour runs 71 and the Tories far less. So that's a good point, actually, isn't it? That the largest party of local government is no party at all. 
And I think what our listeners will know if they've dealt with local authorities, what that actually means is that the officers run the council, not the mm. councillors. So I think that's an important, you know, amidst the the the, the, the pie fight of the parties, it's interesting to just note that there's been another big increase in the number of councils that are practically being run, for the most part, by the decisions officers make, because that doesn't mean that they ignore the councillors, but what it means is that if there's no political party with a, with a clear agenda in charge, then the, when it, things come to council meetings, planning applications and so on, it's all a bit ad hoc, and therefore the, the, the greatest influence comes from the officers. That's an important, you know, if you, if you, if we sort of move beyond the the the, the fun side of it as were as it were, the uh, the reality I think for a lot of people trying to deal with local authorities now is that even more of them, uh, the officers are going to be more important, frankly, than very often whatever the councillor's agenda was when they stood for for elections. So I think that's quite an interesting one. I think the Greens is an interesting one because, and I'm slightly skewed on this because I I'm in East Hearts and it. They, they became the largest party, having had mm. only two councillors before. We saw Mid-Suffolk go green as, a, as an overall control, which is interesting. I think it'll be very interesting to see whether they can translate that into practical action. That I, I'm, more, I'm highly doubtful of because you've got people who've never been in council or government before. Um, some will almost certainly have been elected uh, to their surprise. Um, he said politely. Politicians know this thing where you persuade somebody to stand in a ward because you're short of two people and, and you persuade them that actually there's no danger, there's no danger of you getting elected. And then they do. And they look at you with utter horror. And the danger is those folk have got their lives running in different directions and end up having a by-election in six weeks later or something. So I, it'll be very interesting to see. But, you know, terrible night for the Tories. Very encouraging for Labour, not quite over the, not quite over the, the, the finishing line, I, and which then brings London and Scotland into play, which I think does actually probably tip Labour over the line, but we'll see. What do you think of the um, the analysis that it was the fractures on the housing policy, or rather the fact that the Conservative Party appears to be trying to face in two completely different directions on housing policy and development policy that caused quite a lot of the damage? That may have been an issue in some areas, and I suspect it was one of the issue in some of the home counties areas. But, you know, I think it's a deeper thing than that. I think it's a sense that over the last 12 months with with Partygate and, and Boris and Truss and the bonkers budget and all of that, there's just a certain point when the public have said enough. I don't think it's one issue. I think it's and it never is in local government because there will always be something particular that's getting people's goat locally. What and this is what actually is more worrying for conservatives. My feeling is that the mood is at the moment uh, it's time for a change. Don't know what to, but just you know what actually I want something different, and you know that's why the Lib Dems, Labour, and the Greens can all say because depending on their local strengths you know, that will ref be reflected in how they actually did in, in, in the ballot box. I think housing was important in certain areas. Of course it was. But I don't think it's I don't think it's about issues. I think it's a deeper thing. It's about, you know, what actually I, let's give these other people a go. Um, so we'll, that, that's my instinct. I think it's a that, that's thing. quite interesting, though, isn't it? Because if that's the case, then that's something that could translate to a national vote at the general election. 
Whereas, Absolutely. as you were saying, some of those some of those more local issues, for example, the Greens, the Liberal Democrats tend to do quite well on a local um, area by area basis, council yes. basis, and then not so well at a general election because people, well, they either vote tactically or they just vote differently or, or whatever's happening, yeah. or they just don't have the, the numbers for that greater constituency. Yeah. But if if what you're saying is is that it's not those local issues that are giving these people the leg up, then that that actually might translate. I mean, we could end up seeing a couple more green MPs. We could end up seeing a a sizable return for the for the Liberal Democrats if those mm. those proportions play out. Absolutely. Um, no, that doesn't mean that the next election is you know uh, you know already decided. It's not. Uh, mm. It's not going to be for eighteen months. Uh, and therefore, and as we've learned, you know, if we've learned anything, it's uh, anything can happen in the next six weeks, never mind the next 18 months. Um, but we're, every so often in politics, you know, the, the, the famous pendulum swings and the issues may be the symptoms of the sense of wanting to change. But the fundamental thing is the belief that actually it is time for a change. Uh, you, you know, one of the challenges for Rishi Sunak, who's obviously trying to clear up the mess he's inherited, is how far he can take that and whether actually he can stymie Starmer, if I put it that way. A little alliteration there. I won't take it any further. Um, but uh, whether he can stymie Starmer to make sure that actually uh, they don't have a, a clear majority. Um, I think I think actually Sturgeon, I think Sturgeon may also uh, be a critical factor in this because the collapse of the SNP and I suspect, therefore, a shift in a fair number of votes, maybe a dozen or sorry, parliamentary Scottish constituencies, a dozen or so makes a big difference to Labour's ability to actually win a majority. Um, so would, would Sturgeon have stymied Starmer slightly more significantly than Sunak? <laughs> yes. I suppose so. Would I Very say? good. There we go. Yes, <laughs> I think we'll just park that now. Um, I, I think it is, uh, you know, so you, what we had was the local elections outside London and not in Scotland. Um, so you've then got to say, well, so you've got the Scottish situation, you've got London, um, you've got some of the, we, there were some, I'm trying to remember whether that, there weren't that many Welsh authorities and there weren't some of the big cities as well. So no, we had, they um, tend to favour Labour, but to be fair, a lot of those, I mean, Labour's got pretty much all the parliamentary constituencies in London anyway, that you know, there aren't that many left. So actually their ability to get up over the, 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 the line in terms of additional parliamentary seats, London is less important than Scotland. You know, I think it's uh, so. No, I mean, it was a terrible night for, for local conservatives. And, um, you know, sorry to see, as is always the case, when the tide comes in, some very good people who work bloody hard uh, get washed out. And that 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 is the brutal part of, of it. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see whether I think what Starmer's got to do now is he's got to turn the distaste for the Tories into a positive excitement for his own party. He's not there yet not by a long chalk, uh, and whether he's got that capability that Blair had. Um, mm. He needs, he need, he's got Rachel Reeves, who I think is very capable, and there are several others. John Healy, I think, can be a real star. But when I think back to Blair, you had David Blunkett, you had Gordon Brown, you had Robin Cook, uh, you had a whole raft of other people, Mo Molum, you know, people mm. who were, you know, well-known 
uh, respected people in their own right in the cabinet. So it had a, it felt like a team. They already felt like heavyweights as well, didn't yeah. they? And yeah. Now, uh, looking back, one always, because they then served in government and we got to know them even better, then one tends to have a slightly false yeah. view to a degree. But nevertheless, I think the current team at the moment aren't in that league. Um, and the question then is whether he starts to move them. He's got the, the authority to do it now. I mean, he's in a very strong position. And he, what he's done is he's he's now able to, to face down uh, any, you know, uh, question or challenge against him. So the ball's in his court now. I mean, this is, I suppose the way to put it is this is Labour's, the next election is Labour's to lose. They, you know, if they can't win now, when? That's That's the tricky bit. Um, and, and now's the dangerous time as well, isn't it? Because now yeah. is, is when they're having to start to put the flesh on the bones in terms of policy, yep. in terms of, of what what they're about, you know, what they're for. What, yep. What's the what's the pro case as opposed to the, the con case of the Conservatives? Um, I think I think that's absolutely right. And we're starting to see that, aren't we? Because there were, there were the, the meetings this week that they've had. Um, they've been talking about more policy there. We, we're starting to see Lisa and Andy um, put a bit more flesh on 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 their version of leveling up i mean it, yes yes we are do you think that's is, is that thinking about uh your your knowledge of, of running for office is is that mm. is it going to be a bit like a snowball we're going to see things sort of gathering momentum are we going to get start to get a much clearer idea of what they're about and what those policies will be from now on or will it be fits and starts and it'll be fits and starts i think and also because the labor policy machine tends to revolve around where their party conference lies because of the constitution their constitution and I, I think what he's he set out sort of five missions um, and then what he needs to do now is to flesh out what does a what does a growing green economy actually mean in reality uh, and what are the tricky decisions that you're going to go for you know if you're going to one of the tricky ones is do you push ahead with renewables and that means reforming I, I would suspect the planning system so that you can speed yeah. this up now, of course, some people who are would count themselves as being, you know, environmentally friendly would be appalled at the idea that you're going to sort of drive a coach and horses through planning controls on where they stick new pylons. Um, but actually, that's kind of, you know, these are the difficult decisions you have to make in government. So I hope he'll be uh, he'll, he will push forward and have that agenda because I think it will be good to see it across the political divide. Um, and, you know, there does need to be the investment in renewables, I think, in nuclear. Um, I think it also needs to go into the grid uh, because that is creaking at the, at, at mm. the very edges. And that's yeah. that's having an enormous impact on development as well. I mean, absolutely the whole parts right. of West London that simply yeah. can't be built in. You're, you're absolutely you're ahead of me. And I think that's, um, you know, so there's that kind of stuff where... E if, they, if their agenda must be, we're going to change things and we're going to make Britain better and, you know, bolder and uh, all that kind of stuff, then they need physical activity, economic activity. And actually, housing and infrastructure kind of tick those boxes quite well. If, they, if you make it sustainable, the clear sustainable agenda, then that does allow you to, to push ahead in that context. So, uh, you know, I think what you'll see between now and their party conference in the in October will be, uh, as you say, a few fits and starts, moments when they come out with a new policy area um, and they'll try and sell that and then keep moving. I suspect a reshuffle by the end of the summer mm -hmm. in the Labour ranks. Um, 
Depends how you want to play it. I always thought actually a reshuffle at the end of the summer break means the new folk can read into their stuff, it, you know, so they're ready to go in September. Um, whereas we, the Tory party at one stage got into a bad habit, you know, ministers would come back from holiday, be reshuffled and be straight into, and that's when mistakes are made because yeah. you, you literally, I went from being the business minister one day to the housing minister the next day. Number I mean, of, you were lucky, Mark, because a day is sometimes as long as a housing minister lasts. That's true. As, as well, I mean, you know, so. some chancellors haven't lasted quite so long. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and so suddenly it's a huge change of gear. Uh, and inevitably it takes you three or four months just to kind of, I mean, I'm fortunate because I kind of understood, you know, I'm a surveyor by profession, so I ought to understand some of the issues. But some people are just thrown into these things. And inevitably, there's a debate, and that's when mistakes are made. They're wise. They'll say as little as possible in their first three months. I mean, PMs, prime ministers don't get that that freedom, but they do have a much greater support network. So we'll see. I think the the big glut of policies will come in the autumn when they've got a year's run at it. But I think he knows he's got to make certain statements. I do wonder if I wonder if green towns, green, you know, uh, well and garden city kind of settlements may come into the labour agenda in housing because they're going to have to do certain things, but but those won't be won't feel very ambitious. You know, we all know there's a lot of technical stuff you can do that actually does make a difference, but it doesn't work on a uh, as a policy announcement. Well, you can't um, stick it on a postcard, can you, or the side of a bus? Yeah, indeed, on the side of a bus. Um, and it, that is the that is the problem with politics. And I, I know all professionals tend to get very upset about the fact, but but at the end of the day, people people consume their politics alongside their busy life, and so you get a few seconds to for them to see a number or a, a, an idea, and then they need to see it five or six times and hear it five or six times more, and then they think, oh, are they going to do something about housing? Because people are busy, you know, they're not like, they're not, they're not anoraks like me and, and, and uh, obsessed with these things. That was, there was something interesting that um, Andy Burnham, Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham was saying yeah. at the uh, Institute for Government um, this week, where he, he he pointed out that actually quite a lot of what what this government has put through and what Gove's department has put through has been incredibly good, but on a fairly sort of technocratic level that it's yeah. it's laid a lot of the groundwork. And then on the sort of the big picture stuff, it's there are lots of things that you can pick apart, like, you know, the yes, levelling up funding is great, but it's a, it's a, a drop in the ocean of chronic underfunding. He, he mm. raised that point as well. But that that thing of, of laying the, the, the sort of the superstructure, the infrastructure, of yes. great change for example devolution for example you know those those changing those systems of power but that's really important stuff but yeah it's it's really difficult to make a huge song and dance about it and get people to say yes that's why i'm going to vote for you yeah uh, exactly. well, i suppose i suppose what's important then is is which bits of that are then picked up by whoever is the next government and then taken forward yes and which bits are just completely abandoned and so whenever you look at a party's manifesto for an election it'll have the sort of headline stuff and, you know, three, four, usually five headlines, because you you can't not talk about healthcare, you can't not talk about yeah. the economy, you can't not talk about policing. So that's three. So if you want to do something about anything else, you, you, you know, and then if you have 19 priorities, well, none of them are priorities. So but then behind those headlines in each area, if you read the manifestos, you will then see 
the, as you say, the more technocratic stuff, which the ministers get thrown into their lap and right off you go. This is what we said we're going to do. Now go and do it. Um, and that's and also the civil servants want to. So there will be a point and they're not there yet. But when um, Rishi Sunak, as the prime minister of the day, and this happened with Gordon Brown, although he was very reluctant about it, gives permission to the head of the civil servant and each departmental head to go talk with the shadow ministers. And it's about getting yeah. to know people. It's about civil servants getting to uh, get a sense of what those ministers are like and also allows them to ask questions about them. The, the set of policies being proposed at that stage. Um, and I remember when we were, I was dealing with regional government, uh, so this was regional economic partnerships and that sort of thing, RDAs, and we had a policy to get rid of our, the RDAs in 2010 and replace them with the local enterprise partnerships. And I remember this particular civil servant just uh, talking about other policies. And then he came to this and he said, um, so you absolutely committed to doing this then, are you? You know, that classic civil service sense. And, and I said, yes, I, we are. We will be getting rid of the RDAs and we will be replacing them with local enterprise partnerships. And it has complete write off. It's been, you know, it's been uh, underwritten by all the way up to to the leader of the party. So that is where we're going. And he paused and then he said, uh, well, it's certainly a brave policy. <laughs> and it was, it was, I just thought this is this. You got properly humphreyed. Yeah, it was, it was pure, pure yes minister stuff. But so that that will be that won't happen yet. I suspect that will start happening in the spring of next year, um, mm. because then what civil servants will then do is say, well, if this were the government, you know, we then they need to start thinking about how they put their ideas together. And then when an election is looming, what tends to happen is during the election period, some civil servants do have a break, not 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 unfairly. But they also put a pact together so that when the Secretary of State arrived, whoever the new person is, if that party is elected, then um, they've got, you know, an agenda uh, ready to rock, rock and roll. Um, so, that, you know, I, and I think that's a good part of our government. I mean, I think that's as it should be, um, despite the, uh, but I, I just found it hilarious, you know, and I don't take umbrage because I'm well aware of what the difficulties were with that policy. So I, I knew exactly what he was what he was concerned about. But um, uh, I, I, I quite like that side of things, really. There's also the the question of which bits of which policies and which uh, those sort of tram lines that have been laid down already will prove attractive to whichever party comes in. Um, I think we, hang, let's, let's just say that the general consensus of all the polls is Labour is going to have a sizable proportion of the vote will probably be the largest party, but may or may not be the majority party. So so I think instead of saying whichever party it is, yes. we just say it's either going to be Labour or there's going to be a disaster for Labour and it's going to be the Conservatives back in. Yes. Well, I, the, the odds must be that Labour should win the next election. Uh, my goodness me, they'd have to make a dog breakfast of it, in, you know, between now and then. Or, or an event may take place. And to be fair, also Rishi Sunak, then he whatever, how many weeks it is into the job, but it may be in a year's time if inflation is down, people's, you know, feeling a little bit uh, better off, um, strikes aren't uh, on, on the news on a daily basis, uh, Labour have a few wobbles, you start seeing the, the number, the gap squeeze down into single figures, you, you know, you can see the scenario, but you're quite right, the, 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 the likelihood is that Labour should win the next election as, and become the largest party. The big question for them is, do they form a majority? 
and that on that the the the, the uh, you know the jury is out at this stage. And one of the things that of course is happening on the other side is that for government today, they are starting to think about the clock, and they're starting to think about how much time they've got to legislate. And you mentioned the leveling up bill. Um, it's a monster of a bill. It's huge. It's had, I think, 14 days in committee in the Lords, and they're still not finished. And of course, the problem with this is that Parliament is a is, it's a legislative factory. There's a production line. And if stuff gets stuck down at the Lords, then everything else starts backing up. Um, uh, I've got a terrible feeling the analogy at the beginning about toilets is coming uh, full circle now. But anyway, <laughs> so the problem now is that, you know, what, what's happening is cabinet ministers are being asked, well, you know, you've got three or four bills, you know, on the track, as it were. You can't have them all. We're running out of time. So yeah. therefore, as a government, we need to do, let's say, the immigration bill. We need to do, let's say, the online safety bill, hugely complicated and, and controversial. We need to do levelling up. That means something else must go. And that is why we've heard about leasehold reform and the delay mm. in when it might or might not be implemented. And it's also, I think, why you're going to hear over the next few months more stories about things that aren't going to happen because they're going to run out of time. That's the brutal truth of it. The department has got a load of legislation. It's got, you know, the big levelling up bill. It's got relatives reform. And so so what are the, but it seemed like, like that was the of, deal, wasn't it? That when, when Govey took the job on, it seemed that he was like, I, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. And they said, yes, fine. And now <laughs> they've got no yeah. time. Well, they're, they're, they're running out of time fast. And the reason is this parliamentary term has to end around October, November somewhere for the next King's speech, as it will be. Uh, and that'll then take them from November through to July maximum. You know, it's, it's January, isn't it? I, I was trying to look at what the well, they, last possible they date could, is. They could they could run. But, who you know, you, you know, every prime minister wants to be able to run from at least six months before when they have to. The logic, I think, is an October election next year. So that kind of means you need to wrap your legislative stuff up by the time they all go off at the end of July, because they may come back in September. We'll be, we'll be in campaigning. You know, you can't pass stuff. And and even those even those ones that you mentioned, like, for example, the levelling up bill, which was the flagship for a yep. while under Boris Johnson. There are there are nervous jitters, aren't there? I mean, we've yes. seen groups of, of conservative backbenchers sending open letters to Rishi Sunak saying you have to get this back on track you have to make sure it passes on time otherwise well for them it was the it's the the Midlands devolution deals that yes that, that they're worried about because it's the enabling legislation and those are huge things but to be worried about about whether the leveling up bill itself will be able to get through yeah. as well as whether it's going to eat the space of other smaller bills um that's that's pretty important stuff yes and it's it's where i think very often people forget because people were i was at a conference last week where you know there was concern that the least of why was this it was a policy change and so on so i think the reality is it's a practical thing it'll be Mm. people forget that there's policy and then there's this basic simple process of trying to get the damn thing through two houses of parliament and the bill can be amended 
at every stage and then the amendments come back and that's more time and so on and so forth so but again uh, as we've seen with the leveling up bill that that now has so many amendments on it it's, it's yes. festooned yes and that's the tricky part because then what happens is if you want to get the it through which bits of it are you going to drop to get it through mm. Um, so I, you know, I think that'll be the chance. I think they will absolutely want to get a leveling up bill through what it will finally become in law and what it will include. I do not know. And I rather suspect at this stage, neither do ministers, they know what they'll want, but there are, there's going to be some haggling. And actually, although it all sounds, you know, that, that, that is good because actually what it means is the ministers do have, they don't just have carte blanche to stuff things through. Mm. Um, uh, they do actually have to negotiate with members on both sides of, of the House. So that's that's as it should be. And of course, it's a it's a warning to Labour that if they were to have a very, very thin majority, would they be relying on what uh, Sir Ed Davey um, or indeed the Scots Nats want? You know, um, so that's the that's the challenge, I think, with a lot of these things. Um, so I think I think the renters reform legislation will go ahead. I think leasehold reform will be uh, trimmed back to yeah. it through leveling up, I think, will be squeezed through. And then we'll see because this what happens is that this parliamentary term runs until October, November at the latest. So in truth, if you take out August and two weeks of September uh, for party conferences, they kind of got to do the big stuff by the end of July. That's the truth of it. And that's tight now. That's six. Yeah. Where are we? That's eight weeks tops. Um, so if you've got if you've got the online safety bill alone, which is going to be probably 10 days in committee in the Lords, and then it comes back to the Commons, you know, and, and then you get the famous ping pong. Um, then, uh, you know, it, 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 it will be a challenge. So I think what people are going to see and should look out for are legislative things that are dropped simply because of the practicality of time. Um, now, to be fair, where I think they have done, so, they, so the West Midlands have done their deal and Andy Street mm. seems very happy with that. So I think what they are, what Michael Gove is able to do is to clear the decks in terms of existing mayoralities. But yeah. of course, East Midlands and other parts of the country that are further, uh, you know, aren't as far down the path of uh, devolution need primary legislation to, to get what they want. And, and that's the tricksy bit um, which Michael Gove and others will be having to deal with. Is there any way that you can you can push those things through without the primary legislation? I mean, is that can you use secondary leg legislation for something like that? In some then, cases, I think if you're looking at a transfer of power. Yeah, uh, of, of a, well, it's pretty it, fundamental stuff, isn't it? It has to be a primary piece of legislation because yeah. otherwise it will just get challenged in court. Um, and rightly so. Uh, yes, but there are other areas where, you know, one of the things I always felt civil servants was sometimes you, the lawyers would tell you what you couldn't do. And I always used to say to them, but we all know that there's a lot of historic legislation. One of your roles should be to come to, to me as a minister and say, well, there's this route or there's this route. Mm. And these are the, you know, there are different routes to getting to where you need to be. Also, I was kind of, the, there are some things that you can, you should be able to focus on, which have a good outcome, but don't need legislation. Do you, how much do you think of current um, government policy in terms of development, in terms of house building, in terms of this? 
do you think that those sort of the, the tracks that we're on at the moment do you think that they'll will stay pretty much on on that going beyond the election or are you expecting some some pretty sharp turns i think or does um, it depend on whether you get a majority government or a coalition government well all of the above in, in the sense that there's lots of this and buts and it depends on you know if if labor have got a crystal clear manifesto and they get a big fat majority um then they should be able to do whatever they want to do in those circumstances mm. um, and then we should see more leveling up under yeah. possibly a different name well i think in terms of housing and planning policy um, they're clear they want to uh, encourage supply in terms of home ownership. Sorry, I'll rephrase that. They want to uh, help first-time buyers in terms of home ownership. So they've talked about an all-singing, all-dancing uh, guarantee mortgage scheme of some sort. So we'll see how they do that. They're looking at other measures to help first-time buyers. I think they may, they're groping around with this at the moment, and they may decide that it's wiser not to go down the path of trying to ban certain classes of, of, of purchaser. I'm, I'm not saying there isn't an argument for looking at uh, holding back uh, foreign investors. The tricky part is that if a whole scheme is relying on that on that chunk of money to, to make it viable to proceed with the development, mm. and many of them are, rightly or wrongly. Because foreign investors tend to buy off plan. Exactly. So they bring cash up front. If you ban them, then the chances are you'll get fewer homes built. And I I mean, it's interesting. There's a good pushback now in conservative think tank circles, people like Onward and so on, who are mm. saying it's all about building more homes. You need supply. And I do hear some sensible voices on Labour benches. Um, we've had a couple of shadow ministers talking about this. Of Don't go down the, the, the Sadiq Khan um, rent control route because you'll end up with fewer homes. If we as a Labour government want to come in, what we've got to do is to transform supply. And that's mm. great. If that's where they're at, that, that, that is a good, that's a sensible thing that they're thinking about. So, but if they're then in, in a coalition with the Liberal Democrats, who yes. are taking a fundamentally opposed view, I mean, yes. not that they want to, to limit supply, but they just want to, it's, it's more concerns about development, you know, more in the Theresa Villiers camp. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, I think it's ironic that some of my former parliamentary colleagues in the Conservative Party have been accused of NIMBYs, and some of them have been NIMBYs. But actually, it's interesting that when I listen to the language of the Lib Dems and the Green Party, um, they are far, far more obsessed with stopping developments at all costs and it's often because it's driven from from a local area. Um, yeah. They promised to this group, they promised to that street, they promised to this community association. And so their roots are to say no to things. And how they'll wash that with a national picture, uh, we shall have to wait and see. But it does. It all comes back to those local elections, doesn't it? See, it, it all ties together so Very neatly, good. doesn't it? Yes, it, it's marvellous how the script that we don't have for this um, works. But anyway, no, it, it's it. I think it is an interesting uh, test now to see whether uh, whether those people who have now come into local government, they've now got the, the levers of power, and whether they will use them, and whether by next spring, some of those local authorities, the, the council taxpayers, will be thinking. Hmm, not so sure that was a, such a good idea, actually. Maybe I shouldn't have voted for X or Y. So it'll be interesting to see whether that, that comes. But as I said to you, I think the fundamental thing is 
for most people, the feeling is that maybe the Conservative Party has run out of its time. Um, and that's why they voted as they did this month. In a year's time, it could change, but it's a tough act to overcome, I think. Speaking of running out of time and also a tough act to follow, um, that's I think that's all we've got time for. But we'll be back, won't we? We're going to be back we with, with more guests and we're going to be going doing deep dives into hot topics. And well, yes. there's all that to look forward to. Exactly. No, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully you at home are as well. Indeed.